a lot of people that are drawn towards the veterinary industry actually feel like I like animals a bunch, but I don't really like people. And, and it's actually, um, you learn that the people skills are extremely important because at the end of every single leash is a human. Welcome to Story Listeners, The Healer Season, a research podcast investigating the role of narrative listening in vocations. In this fourth episode, we speak to Jody Engel, a veterinarian and owner of the Meadows Veterinary Center in Windsor, Colorado. She talks about listening to a patient's body when you cannot speak with them, how to negotiate the pet's needs with their owner, and the power of team listening. She spoke with our reporter, Maisie Barbosa. Maisie talks about what she learned with Katie Mitchell and Alexis Austere, next on Story Listeners. Who are we learning from this week? Jody Engel. As a veterinarian, I think uh, one of our obviously most important things is to really advocate for our patients. Um, You know, I am in a field where my patients can't actually speak to me. And so our job is to, um, you know, really communicate with our clients. Um, But their interpretation of what is happening with their pets sometimes can be tricky to navigate. So how do you think that Dr. Engel thinks nonverbal listening compares to the act of listening to sound. Yes, that's something we talked about a lot. That's the main kind of communication and listening that she has to do with a lot of her patients. So a lot of our listening to our patients actually occurs um, through touching and feeling and body language. Along with the verbal cues that she gets from the parents of the patients, she can figure out how it works. Oh, gosh. I... I... (laughs) think about how difficult it can be to understand human nonverbal communication. Mm -hmm. But did she talk about how it was to learn the nonverbal cues from the animals that she's treating? Yeah. If someone can't speak back to you, how do you know you were right? You don't. You know, I think the number one strategy that we have is to really try to form a a relationship with the client. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, again, the reason that we have stools in this exam room Mm -hmm. is so that we can get eye to eye with them, right? So that we can, through body language, um, you know, just try to establish a connection. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, it, it's important, um, I think for us to, to build that, to be able to relay to the client what we need to do to help their pet. She has some patients that she's been seeing since they were these little puppies or kittens or tiny, or she has some patients that she just met and maybe they're closer to the end of their life. And she can really tell now from just being in this kind of work for so long when what's hurting and like what is needed and how the animal's reacting to different kind of human interaction, what is trying to be said. And now it's hard because She can't verify that. She can never be 100% sure, but that's why she has taken the time to get really in tune with her skills in nonverbal listening so that she can feel like she has done all that she can to prepare for a nonverbal conversation. Do you kind of feel like the translator for the pets versus the parents? Absolutely. It's always a challenging thing. And so a lot of people that are drawn towards the veterinary industry actually feel like I like animals a bunch, but I don't really like people. And and it's actually, um, you learn that the people skills are extremely important because 
at the end of every single leash is mm-hmm. a human. Uh, and it's important for us to be able to connect with the human in order to gain the trust that we need to care for the pet. And so we are definitely the middleman in the whole flow of taking care of them. So, Did you guys talk about how to balance the conflict between the client and the animal to make sure that the animal is getting treated correctly? Yes. I was thinking about from my own experience being a pet owner, what I would feel if a vet told me something that I did not think was true. And she just kind of explained to me that you do have to separate the animal from the person without fully separating them. The owners should know their pets the best, but they don't always. So we have to navigate sometimes some really big, scary diagnoses and end Mm -hmm. of life situations and emergencies where there's a lot of emotions and stress for the people and the pet. And so, um, again, I think we have really challenging um, tasks in front of us in navigating those situations. So The most important thing that she can do in a situation is to go in and treat every patient where she's trying to understand them and use those stories that she does hear from the owners about what they think could be going on and trust her gut and really trust her training and schooling and try to do it that way. So you said that she listens to the stories of the Mm -hmm. patients in order to know the animal more. Is that like a question answer type conversation? It's usually different. One thing that I love that we talked about was that every door is a new scenario. It's always going to be different. And I kind of viewed that as life. Like every time you open the door, it's going to be a new thing, a new conversation. You know, one of the things I love most about being a veterinarian and our industry is we don't have typical days. Um, we um, have a combination of everyone. And our general practice is one where we do emergency care and uh, urgent care. So not only do we have new puppies that come in, mm-hmm. um, we see them all throughout their lifetime, um, getting them started. And then obviously the saying goodbye aspect of it. And in between, there may be um, routine care. There may be dentistry, there may be surgeries, there may be injuries and illness and trauma. Yeah. How do you feel like mentally you prepare for that knowing? Because I know a lot of people find comfort in routine, at least of some sort. um, I think, you know, one of the most important things is... um, Uh, obviously genuinely liking and loving what you do and then having the personality where I can, you know, shift gears and bend, um, you know, as you and I are sitting here talking very well, there could be an emergency that comes screaming through the door. Right. So, um, you, I think you have to be, have the personality that's okay to be, we call it down for whatever. So I'm curious more about Dr. Ingalls herself Uh and how her support system has affected the growth in her listening. So obviously she's not a one-woman show. No. Will you talk a little bit about that? She explained that she wants people who really have the ability to communicate and listen to be a part of their team just to add to that support system and make that an even more smoothly run community. You know, what's consistent for us is our – relationship with our teammates um, and the people we work with. And so that's a constant. And we know that we can really rely on each other um, to navigate all the situations that come up on a daily basis. So it's very much, this is the information that you have. This is information I have. This is information she has or he has. Let's compile this together and get the full 
narrative of this situation? Team listening. Um, and so uh, during our appointments, uh, during the day, we have um, our veterinary assistants who are, uh, well, it actually starts before that with the client calling to schedule an appointment. And so our receptionists getting information initially to relay uh, you know, in the initial history. And then we have our um, assistants that are loading the clients, um, checking them in, getting some more information. And then we as the doctors then get all that information brought to us in a synopsis, basically. Um, and so then we go in and then just build off of those conversations. So we're not asking the same questions, but um, based on the initial information, what more do we need to do? And that's when we kind of examine the pet um, and then again, talk to the client a little bit more. So listening, I think, you know, I'm listening to all of my team members. I'm listening to the patient um, through body language. And then I'm definitely listening to the client. So it's like chapters in a book. Exactly. I like that. Do you think that patients slash clients whose stories are heard get treated differently? So obviously interpreting, um, you know, what the client is telling us. And then mm-hmm. sometimes we have every range of that, right? We have um, sometimes pets that don't spend a lot of time around their humans, um, you know, think uh, animals that spend a lot of time outdoors and, and you know, they um, come in with little tiny pieces of information and not a lot, um, all the way to, um, you know, uh, clients and patients that uh, come in with a story that is so big and so long that you really have to weed it down to what's the pertinent information yeah. in there. And so, um, again, what, how we navigate that is really with having a core list of questions that we can ask. Um, and the questions help us uh, really to boil down to what's the pertinent information, the important information, because sometimes what the client is saying is not necessarily what the most important thing that we're looking for is. And so um, it is listening to them, but it really is just forming the bond and the relationship to be able to ask them more. We got into a conversation about generations. I mean, I'm 20 years old. People in my generation are definitely more focused on technology, phones, like if I need to talk to someone, I can text them and it's probably going to be easier for me to text them than to call or drive over to their house and go talk to them. And she talked a lot about how the younger generations don't have as much of that face-to-face experience in just communicating and listening. We grew up um, without any of those distractions. And so I feel like we formed really, really strong people skills. And when I hire new young people, Mm -hmm. sometimes we have to spend a little bit more time on teaching them things that I feel like I learned maybe at a younger age. But as long as they're willing to learn them and they see the importance of it, um, you know, then we're able to move forward. She has different expectations for people of different ages. I mean, it is understandable because that's kind of the way the world is moving. And like with all the additions of technology, if someone were older and less qualified, they might have better listening skills, but someone who's younger and maybe has the perfect qualifications may be not as good of a listener and not as good of a communicator. So it makes it kind of a juggling act to figure out who's the best to put where. What do you think? I just think that it's so important for people in my generation to understand that it's important to understand those background skills too, because I think the background skills are getting pushed aside, which include the listening and really receiving information as well as just basic communication skills. What I'm hearing you say is like through this surgence of 
technology and mass media. There's less interpersonal communication face-to-face. Definitely. And so thus, there's less opportunity for listening in the way that we are discussing in this Mm -hmm. podcast, in this show. Now, I'm curious, when you think about listening after this conversation, and this Mm -hmm. is, I'm curious about Maisie, your opinion. Okay. uh, Based on your experiences and your conversations. Do you think that the this generation listens less or has fewer listening skills? I don't want to hate on my generation, but I do. I really do. I feel like I'm lucky enough to have my dad in my life, who I always remember, even growing up. And I think this is why I kind of understood the concepts that Michael had started teaching me in class last year, is listening to listen My dad used to say that to me all the time because I was that little kid who would always scream, interrupt, like try to get my way, get my word in. And I think that like with technology just so present in our lives, we are used to trying to shout without, and I say shout as in just try to get above all the other information to get what we're trying to say to be heard. Tell me about a time that you have felt very listened to. This whole time we've talked a lot about how you listen, and now I want to hear a little bit about kind of just the flipped and when you feel like you've had that. Yeah. Um, You know, I think um, that probably boils down a lot of what I do. Um, You know, now I'm the owner of the business, Mm -hmm. and so I am the hospital administrator, um, and a lot of what I do is based about what's best for the team, you know, and we have a lot of good communication sessions together with my leaders. You know, we have to have a good dialogue between us. Uh, and so my associate doctors that work for me, um, my um, practice coordinator, and then my lead employees, um, you know, I think they do a great job of listening to me bringing the business side of things mm-hmm. in and order for us to to formulate the best plan for us moving forward. So I, I would definitely have to say uh, kudos to them mm-hmm. um, for being engaged in that side of the practice too. So Something that I noticed as soon as I walked into the office was a, there wasn't a typical table. Like, do you, either of y'all have pets at home? <laughs> have you taken them to the vet and seen that big table in the middle of the room that most animals have to go up on and stand there a little wobbly because it's kind of scary? Yeah, yeah. They didn't have that because Dr. Engel explained that it is so important to have that animal in a comfortable position and have them not feel more vulnerable than they already do. And I thought that was amazing. She talked a lot about eye to eye communication. And I think that that's something that humans use as well as animals is just getting on the same level. And so I think for us, it's really establishing the underlying trust and showing compassion for whatever situation we're walking into. But you have to be able to um, bob and weave no matter what, because I may go into a room with a new client I've never seen before. That is not an open book that doesn't want to share anything Mm -hmm. that wants to get back in their car and get on with their day. And the last thing they wanted to do was for their wife to schedule this appointment and make them bring the dog. Yeah. And so you have to, you just have to try to find a connection. It helps. And especially having the group and all the support system just there to help remember that. Because I find myself in my day-to-day life, I know I go to practice in the morning. I usually 
have an hour to an hour and a half at home. I go to class. I have maybe a 30-minute break. I go to class. I go to practice. I do homework. I go to bed. That's pretty much every day. And I find myself personally getting lost in that routine a lot where I don't even know where I was for the middle of the day. I'm just, oh, I'm at practice. What was I doing? It's just so difficult. So having that where I don't want to call them exciting because I'm sure a lot of the situations aren't exciting, but like something that gets your adrenaline up, I'm sure that changes everything and it kind of brings you back into reality in a way and just keeps that routine from getting too routine-like and repetitive, if you know what I mean. Totally, totally. I think what I'm hearing you say is that when you have maybe like engaging situations every day amidst the routine, Mm -hmm. it grounds you. And keeps you very present. Yeah. Would you agree? Yes, definitely. And then that listening practice is is almost a, a practice of presence. Yeah. Yeah, so do you think that's the same for, like, listening to prevent, like, routine listening, I guess? Because um, from what I'm hearing from what you're saying is, like, throwing in a little something to change it up. Um, do you think that applies to, like, listening? I think so. Because kind of how I said earlier... Every conversation is going to have a plan. You have an idea of what you want to say. But I think the fact that just because you have that plan doesn't mean that's exactly how it's going to go always helps. Do you think that throughout your life you have kind of viewed every new experience as kind of opening a new door into an opportunity? I'm just wondering if that started earlier in your life or if you think you kind of grew to develop that? Uh, I I would definitely say I I feel like there's a lot of development that happens early, very, very Mm -hmm. early. Honestly, in my kindergarten book, it said I wanted to be a veterinarian when I grew up. And I grew up in a household um, with lots of pets, Mm -hmm. lots of animals. Um, And then I also grew up in an environment of supportive conversation. I mean, we were allowed and able to um, communicate and speak our minds and uh, you have to evolve those skills over time. What's the biggest thing that uh, we heard today? I would say that the big takeaway that I took from this conversation with Dr. Engel was just how important nonverbal listening is. It is something that I feel like a lot of people have gone on autopilot with. What about you, Alexis? What's something, what's one of the big takeaways? What did you hear today? I think a big takeaway is it's not just one person that you're listening to. I think you're listening to a whole spectrum of people and animals, and I think that can be really hard to balance, but the better you balance it, the healthier the animal is going to come out to be, I think. I so agree. I think walking away from this conversation, uh, I'm really struck with her points about generational listening and will be pondering um, how environment informs our listening skills and motivations. So thank you so much. I appreciate both of your time. Thank you. uh, Thank you. We'll talk soon. Awesome. All right. Bye-bye.